Good evening, ASI. We're happy to see each one of you here this evening, and we're looking forward to the blessing that God is going to give us. I have with me this evening Bill Knott, and he's the executive editor of Adventist Review and Adventist World. And I also have Jared Thurman with me, who is marketing director for Adventist Review and director of strategy and innovation for something called ARTV. So we're going to find out a little bit more what all that's about. And ASI enjoys a long relationship working together with Adventist Review, with Bill Knott, with Jared. We're thankful for the privilege of having them here this evening. Well, you know, I know that things are getting smaller these days. You know, uh, the Adventist Review went from a larger format down to a smaller format. And then suddenly, we just have a little card. Is this the new format for the Adventist Review? No, there's no microchip buried in here or in your hand. in, In reality, this is just illustrating something about how this ministry has been growing so rapidly in the last two years. We're a family of products now, not just one. We're called Adventist Review Ministries, but we publish Adventist World Magazine, which all of you get in your homes, Kids View, our product for kids. We have, op- we have large websites, social media options. We are now a family that's the oldest thing in the church and also the newest thing in the church. Okay, so what we can see then is that you're actually partnering with all different other ministries as well. I often tell our team, We did not build this organization. Tithe and the faithfulness of church members built Adventist Review Ministries. So it's our job to shine a spotlight on partner ministries like ASI and help other people discover what they're doing and how the Lord is working through them. Okay, wonderful. Well, Jared, it seems like your title is actually a little bit different than it was last year when you were here. Can you tell us what the changes are? Yeah, well, we've got something exciting and it's not just one thing. It's, it's really a thought of what does tomorrow look like and how do you serve the church and those, we, those that we love around us through the content of the Adventist Review and all the things we're working on. So I have the privilege and joy of agitating and <laughs> rattling Bill's cage and, and finding ways in which we can better serve our church and those around us. So one of those things is ARTV. Okay. ARTV is, uh, I could say it's inspired somewhat by Christ's object lessons. Jesus says, or Ellen White says of Jesus in his day that the reason he spoke in parables was because it was the most popular form of storytelling, Mm. especially with the Greeks. Okay. Well, what we know from the data today is by the year 2020, eight out of 10 people will be using the internet. And eight of those people, of the ten, will be using it on their mobile device watching a video called short-form content. So ARTV is really how do we deliver this timeless message in video format, mobile first, and find ways in which we can easily share it with those around us. And we are very excited that that launches this October. Okay, that sounds exciting. We're looking forward to it. Why don't you tell us, Jared, a little bit about the booth and why people should go by the Adventist Review booth? Yeah, we're very excited. We have recently finished a production and project with ADRA, where we sent a team over there to film in virtual reality. And if you'll come by our booth, or you you can go by ADRA's booth, you'll be able to put some of these VR goggles on and immerse yourself in the audio and the visuals of a village 
drilling a well and, and being in that experience. Virtual reality has an impact where they're finding psychologically you actually believe you were there. So <laughs> okay. I want to just invite you, come by our booth and experience what that's like. Okay, sounds exciting. Well, Bill, I know that we traditionally have thought of Adventist Review or Adventist World as being a way that we get media out through print. Yeah. But could you tell us a little bit how Adventist Review is changing and how it's progressive? You know, many times people think that if you're leaning forward toward new technologies, somehow you're leaning away from biblical truth. We've mm -hmm. taken it as a founding principle of what we're doing, that we're conservative when it comes to truth, but we're progressive when it comes to methodology. We've got to find the ways to deliver to audiences the timeless truths of Scripture in a way that they will understand and will change their thinking. So we're not only print-centric now. We're developing audio uh, podcasts. We're working, as Jared has said, in short-form, on-demand video. Our social media program is exploding. We continue to publish the most widely spread magazines in the Adventist Church, but it's a range of things. It's a family of things because our goal isn't just to reach readers, it's viewers, readers, listeners, anyone who we can put the good news in front of. Amen. It's a blessing to be here every year with Adventist Review in this partnership. I know that we've had the privilege of partnering for a number of years now. And I'd like to ask you, Jared, why do you come every year? How is the ASI Convention a blessing to you and to Adventist Review? I have found over the last 10 years coming to ASI, and now with our Adventist Review team, we come here for the best ideas. Hmm. We come here to inspire <laughs> people, and we come here to be inspired. Uh, what the seminars give us is a blessing. What is done on this stage is a blessing. But I often find it's those short conversations in the halls and at lunch and at dinner that make me want to say, I want to be an Adventist this week, this year. I want to be on fire for the Lord, and I want to come back next year and experience that again. So Amen. that's why we come. We get amazing stories from here. People walking the halls who stop and say, could I talk to you for a moment? And suddenly unfolds a story that we want to tell the world about. It's a story of faith or courage, sometimes challenged with daunting circumstances. Those are stories that inspire believers literally around the world that come out of this convention every year. And that's one of the big reasons we're here. Amen. I want to thank both of you for partnering with ASI. We're so happy for the relationship with Adventist Review, Adventist World, and ARTV and everything that's moving forward. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. God bless. Good evening, ASI. So how many of you went to the seminars today? How many of you went to the seminars? Oh, wow, look at all the hands. How many of you were bad people and did not go to the seminar today? You missed out. Yes, well, we were really excited about the seminars. They were really well attended. I, very, I went through seminar after seminar, got to spot a lot, and I just really was blessed. And we just want to talk about what the treats that you have for tomorrow, uh, we want to talk about that tonight. Remember, there's two sets of seminars. There's a morning seminar and an afternoon seminar. Okay, so here we go. Yes, I'm Ron Woolsey with Coming Out Ministries, and tomorrow we are going to be showing our highly anticipated and newly released documentary, Journey Interrupted, following the journeys of five individuals through the gay culture 
and revealing the amazing love and compassion and redeeming power of our Lord Jesus Christ to reach the unreachable and change the unchangeable. I think I'd like to be at that one, but I have another one at 10.45. At <laughs> 10.45 tomorrow morning, my name is Julian Archer. I'm from Australia. I run a ministry called Faith versus Finance. And at 9 o'clock in here, we'll be looking at the question, is it possible to be financially secure without becoming spiritually bankrupt? And then at 10.45, we'll be answering the, the question about Christian atheists. You see, a Christian atheist is a person who believes in God but trusts in money. So that's at 10.45. I'm Jim Davidson with Jesus and Science Seminars. Why Jesus and science? Why not the more academically palatable God and science or just religion and science? Our Jesus and Science Seminars point to Jesus through rock-solid science combined with rock-solid scripture. Come learn with us how to read the book of nature in the context of the great controversy between the devil who's lying about God and Jesus the creator who can daily create in us new hearts. The only thing better than living the Christian life is living the Christian life and enjoying it. God just wants us to relish him. God wants us to delight in him. And yet, for most of my Christian life, that was not my experience. In fact, it took me 30 years after my baptism to fall in love with Jesus. What was I missing? How could I miss such a, something so critical, so important? How can we, as followers of Christ, how can we enjoy God? How can we relish our time with Him and relish sharing Him with the world? Tomorrow afternoon at 3.30, we're going to look at the lighting and the Almighty. My name is Michael Dant, and we're going to have a seminar that talks about how we, as individual Christians, can enjoy God to the fullest. My name is Bill Crick from Central California Conference, and the title of our seminar is Witnessing Cold Turkey. Witnessing Cold Turkey. We're going to tell a lot of stories, story after story. We're, going to look, we're actually going to view a four-minute video from an atheist describing how he felt as he was approached by a Christian and what he was thinking as he was approached by a Christian. We'll look at recent research that was just released from Stanford University about the effectiveness of approaching people cold turkey and lots of stories tomorrow afternoon. I'm Ted Wilson and Renella and Dwayne McKee and Kathy McKee and Mike Tuazon are going to be sharing, all of us are going to be sharing tomorrow about total member involvement. Everybody doing something for Jesus. It's amazing how this simple concept, which is certainly nothing new, but it is something that the Lord has inspired us with, how it is catching on all over the world. God tells us that unless our members and our pastors and church workers join together, we'll still be here. Let's head to heaven. Total member involvement. Renella? We really believe that Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. We believe that we can hasten his return. And so we want to encourage you to come so that we can give you resources, inspiration, and encourage one another again in what really matters as people living in the last days. Please come to our seminar and be inspired. Now, we just gave you a lot of tough choices, didn't we? And I'm going to give you three more. 
Uh, I'd like you to look at, not right now, but sometime or other, in your, brochure, your uh, ASI booklet on page 11, it gives you a list of all the seminars, and there's three others that we have not been listed yet. We have uh, Ron Duffield's Righteousness by Faith, Seeing Further Than Martin Luther. If any of you have read Ron Duffield's book, it's incredible. It's amazing. And he's going to be doing a seminar. Also, uh, Dr. Markham, he's going to be doing about the physiology of health and healing and how that your spiritual life really affects how you feel physically. And then uh, Dr. Bennis, coming out of a complacency. How many of you have stress? Anybody have stress in your life? Well, Dr. Bennis is going to talk about bad stress and good stress and how that some stress is actually good for you and how to handle that, how to cope with that. So that's an exciting seminar. So remember, we have two sets of seminars. We have a morning seminar starting at 1045, and then we have an afternoon seminar at 330. And I hope to see you all there. Enjoy. Hello, ASI family members. That's what we are, right? Family? I love coming to ASI. So many of us have amazing stories, don't we? You go down through the exhibit hall, it's one story after another. And tonight is Members in Action. We're going to hear some of those stories and get to know some of our wonderful ASI members. And the closest one to me is Dr. Brian Schwartz, who is from uh, Dayton, Ohio. He's a physician at Kettering Hospital. I understand that you pray with all of your patients. How in the world did you start doing that? Well, thank you, Esther. So that was a, a big change in my thinking. So when I started off in medicine, after going to an Adventist medical school, I was not personally comfortable praying with patients. But around 2004, 2005, there was a group that formed one of the ministries of ASI called AMEN, the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. We were challenged by Pastor Mark Finley to just start having a spiritual conversation with our patients. And I came back from that meeting convicted and changed and realized that I needed to start doing that. And so I would pick out a patient here and there and start praying with them. But I wasn't, I was picking out the ones I thought would respond at first. But after a while, I became convinced that I needed to pray with every single patient. That is something we all can do, right? No matter what it is, whether we're a physician or a, a, you know, a fire chief or a police officer, we can always pray with somebody. And so tell me, uh, you were telling me about a fire chief and uh, some prayers that you had with him. So having started praying with my patients, this just revolutionized my practice. It used to be that I would go to work. That was where I worked. I would to Sabbath school and help out at church. I'd go on mission trips, but this has changed my practice into a ministry. And I realized that I have people from all walks of life that come to my office. I don't have to go out there to pass out literature. I don't have to go out there to meet them. They're coming to me. And so one of them is the chief of, of the fire department in one of our area cities. Um, he needed heart surgery, and, and as my habit is, we made the visit, we got the right referrals, and then I said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. Would you like to have a prayer? And he got tears in his eyes and just held my hand, and we got done praying. He said, can you just pray one more time? And he just really was touched by it and appreciated that. And then it seemed like that was it. 
But what I'm convinced that this does is it opens the door for them to realize that I am a safe person to have a spiritual conversation with. And so two years later, after he's recovered from surgery, he comes in, he's got probably the third patient from the end, and he's like, Doc, um, you're a spiritual person. Can I ask you a question? And all of a sudden he asked me, how do you know that the Bible is true? And that turned in from a 10 to 15 minute visit to a 45 minute visit where my nurse had to come knock on the door and say, Doc, you got a couple more patients to see. And I prayed with him again and he thanked me and he uh, just had an interest in the Bible for the first time. Next year he came back, Doc, you're a smart person. You believe in creation. Tell me why. And so it just opened the door for him to see that I was somebody in the community that he could go to and ask those kind of questions when he was searching in his own heart. It's simple, isn't it? Just gaining trust. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you pray with all of your patients. Does that mean that you don't have any patients that are uh, people who don't believe in God? So, yeah, that's a very good question. So at first, um, I selected a few. Pretty soon I started offering to all my patients because if I missed one that I had prayed with before, they got really upset the next time. <laughs> and literally in the last 10 years, I've had maybe a dozen patients say, no, I don't want a prayer. And we'll make a little MP in the chart so I don't keep nagging them over and over. Um, but I've prayed with a Jewish rabbi. Um, in fact, real quick, I'll tell that story. He. Uh, needed a pacemaker. He was in his 80s. He decided, you know what, I'm not having any more procedures. I'm just going to die. Um, just let me go to hospice. But my partner said, well, let you just talk to Dr. Schwartz about it. And I came in and talked to him about it. He wasn't having it. He's just like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So I got done. And I said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Um, would you mind if I had a prayer with you? And I prayed the way I pray, a Christian prayer. And when he got all done, he had tears in his eyes. And he uh, said, you know, I'll go ahead and have that pacemaker. And we've gotten to be friends over the years. And he then confided in my wife later that when I walked in the room, he was like, there's no way I'm having that pacemaker. When I prayed with him, the thought that went through his brain was, praise God, I found a doctor who doesn't think he's God. And it really transformed our relationship. And he was wide open to having spiritual conversations. Well, that's wonderful. And uh, there's another story you wanted to share. We have a couple of minutes left or less. Would you like to tell us about a Muslim person that you? Yeah, so this isn't directly related to sharing with patients, but at Kettering Medical Center, we have a fellowship program. So we train doctors who have finished their residency in internal medicine that then go on and specialize in cardiology. And then an additional year past that is an interventional cardiologist. And I'm the director of the Interventional Cardiology Fellowship. So my fellows, um, just see me interacting with patients. Before every case, before a procedure, I'll offer to pray with them. Um, Muhammad is Muslim and uh, very devout, very kind-hearted, and I just got to really appreciate him through the year. But um, one of my partners, Dr. Han, and myself decided partway through the year last year that we'd start a Bible study group. And we were going to show uh, the Thunder in the Holy Land video series and invite our patients to come to the hospital, to a room that we had to do these. And Muhammad, being just a really helpful guy, saw me rolling the, the television and the, and the video machine down to a room. And he said, oh, Dr. Schwartz, let me get that for you. Let me get that for you. I'll set it up. And he didn't know what we were doing. But he came, he set it up, and I just said, oh, Muhammad, you're welcome to stay. We're having a Bible study. And he stayed, and he watched the video, and then we talked about it. And week after week after week, he came, he set it up. Pretty soon it turned into a discussion where this is what we believe as Christians. What do you think about that? 
And we had this back and forth dialogue where he was very, very open. I was able to give him a copy of The Great Controversy and he really appreciated it. And by the time that he graduated a year later and he's now practicing in a nearby town, he said, Dr. Schwartz, I just want to thank you for, for sharing Jesus with me. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is coming back soon, and when he comes back, I'm going to be ready. And so just a few months ago, he's off in a practice. He's um, very respected in his community. Um, he sent me a check, blank in the line, but he sent me a check for $3,000 and said, Dr. Schwartz, please just send this to um, that ministry you talked about where physicians go overseas and help people with the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. And so he's funding our ministries. He's been touched by just the fact that I took the time to pray with patients and then took the time to just almost nonchalantly just share uh, Jesus with him, and it's had a huge impact. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? That's something that each one of us can do, is it not? For just a few seconds when you pray with somebody, they are looking to God. That's very powerful. So we have this physician here. We also have another uh, couple of physicians. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your names. Uh, I'm Carlos uh, Irizarry. This is my wife, Kathy Irizarry. We're both family practice physicians. Uh, we worked in Puerto Rico in a mission term for about six years, then moved to Minden, Louisiana, where we practiced uh, private practice for almost 25 years. And we retired uh, recently in this past December. Oh, you're retired. <laughs> that means uh, you're, you're, you're picking up some new hobbies, you're going on vacation, spending some time with grandchildren, right? Well, that's obviously what we were wondering about. What are we going to do when we retire? And uh, there were two things that crossed our minds, two considerations. One was we wanted to be near an Adventist college to benefit from the the energy of the young people and the programming that they would have there. Also, we wanted to have a home that would have enough room so that we could invite guests who were and accommodate guests who were interested in learning to live a healthy lifestyle. I need to define a healthy lifestyle. Uh, Ellen White delineates that very well, the components of that in her book, Ministry of Healing, page 127, where she says pure air, sunlight, abstemiousness, uh, exercise, rest, proper diet, water, trust in divine power. These are the true remedies. Now we've tried to teach these to our patients and have been extremely gratified to see significant benefits in those, uh, the relatively few who have listened and made changes in their lives. Uh, now we want to take this to the next level and invite people into our home so that we can better help them to internalize these concepts by actually putting them in, uh, getting their hands into it, so to speak. So rather than just listening to lectures, uh, we want to have them actually practice shopping for the food. They will prepare many of the meals and they will learn what it means to make time in their day for exercise and devotionals. Okay, so home. Uh Kathy, he's talking about inviting people into your home. What does that look like? Looks like fun. All right. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. Uh, our home slash Washata Healthy Living Center, it's just an amazing thing that it's coming around. I don't know if it's up there. It is on the screen. This is a work of the Lord. He planned our retirement. Uh, 
he's given more than we could ask or think in providing for us a place where we will live and be able to also have this plan of the Healthy Living Center. It has been constructed and is getting finished uh, with the partnership of Washita Hills. Many hours of labor go into a construction. We've been in Louisiana for a good part of that time, and it's just interesting uh, to me that so many hands have been involved. I think just about every academy student, every college student has been involved in the building of this place, and the staff, they've all been involved. But not only that, um, Brother Steve Dickman brought a team of young people I think they represented several academies. And they came and labored, put up sheetrock. That was wonderful. So we have this. Now, it's located on property belonging to Washita Hills. And I think some people may not know what Washita Hills is. So this is a school that has both an academy and college. It's located in a beautiful spot in Arkansas, close to Amity, Arkansas and you can look that up on your map. So this is our plan, and the center, it's nearing completion, but uh, not quite there yet. We want to have people living in the home with us. We have a large common area, the picture's down, but the, the large common area has very ample kitchen uh, counters and stuff, so people can be really involved in a uh, large open living room where we can have instruction given so instead of going to a class where they learn about healthy living, uh, whether it be a cooking class or just, uh, you know, there's a lot of different healthy uh, living programs that are out there right now. So you're talking about putting people in a home setting so that way they can practice cooking, they can practice sleeping. For somebody like me, that could be a struggle, getting that rest. But, you know, you're putting them outside, and you mentioned that there was a garden in the backyard so they can go outside and get that sunshine, fresh air, and little exercise and learn how to garden. That garden is not there yet but we want there to be a garden. And we hope to be able to include all of these phases that uh, will include the eight natural remedies uh, that they will live that lifestyle with us for the time that they stay in our home, which would be maybe a week session. But I wanted to say one other thing. In addition to being able to enjoy this opportunity in our retirement, uh, we will also be able to teach on the campus, and that gives us more exposure to these wonderful young people, which is just such a thrill. Amen. And Amen. enjoy all the programs on the campus. Right. So uh, now, when do you plan to have your first session? You said it's not finished yet. It's not quite finished yet. It's getting there. Uh, we also still have to give further work to preparing for the sessions. So right now, we're, our target date is to have our first session somewhere in early 2018. Okay, wonderful. So um, how can these people that are here or watching on, on uh, 3AB, and how can they get more information from you? Just come to the Wachita Hills uh, booth. That's number 706. Se Watch no, 607. Excuse me, 607. 607. Wachita Hills booth 607. Okay, wonderful. You need to visit them and find out a little bit more about it. Now, I want to go to Mindy. Now, we were just talking about opening up your home for... Uh, you know, to, to do this uh, healthy living instruction. But what if there isn't a home? What if you're living in a tent? And so um, we're going to be hearing from Mindy um, Tigerson, 
who is with Impact Hope. And uh, let's go ahead and play the video right now so they can see what we're talking about. My name is Leah and my parents go to Africa a lot. There was a war that made people have to run away from their own homes and live in another country. People who have to had to leave their homes have been living in Rwanda refugee camps for over 20 years. They even have only enough money for one meal a day. They have to hike to get water and there are no lights and no showers. They can only go to school until ninth grade in the camps. When my mom and dad heard about these people, they were sad because most of the people are Seventh-day Adventists like us. Yeah. My mom and dad started something called Impact Hope. They are trying to raise money to send kids to go to school longer so they can get jobs so they so they can take care of their families. As far as refugees are concerned, we will all hopeless, but you have come to support us. With this, we would like to ensure you that we are going to work hard and succeed not only at school, but even in the everyday life. Hoping that you are going to be the one who will deliver us. There are lots more kids who want to go to school. Will you help us? Okay, now we're talking about refugees from Congo and Rwanda, correctly? Okay, let me ask you, can, the video talked about this, but how many people are we talking about? There's approximately 80,000 people who are living in the Congolese refugee camps in Rwanda. But the thing that caught our attention is, well, we knew about the genocide that happened in Rwanda in 1994, mm -hmm. but we didn't realize what happened next. So the genocide spilled over into neighboring countries, including Zaire, which is now the Congo. The perpetrators of the genocide in Rwanda fled for their lives, fear, fearing that they too would be killed for what they had done. And so they fled into Tanzania and Burundi. But in Zaire, where they came, they came across a group of people who are the same tribal systems as those found in Rwanda. And so when they saw the um, r lush farmlands in the Congo and the herds of cattle, and these people were the ones who were being killed in Rwanda, they began genocide again. Well, this area that was targeted had been proselytized by evangelists, Adventist evangelists in the early 1900s. So this whole area was primarily Seventh-day Adventist Christians. So this led to an influx of refugees into Rwanda. And at times there were around 100,000 Right, currently, there's 80,000 refugees and around 80% and higher. And in some cases, in some camps, 100% of them are Seventh-day Adventist. So my husband and I, when we heard this, we felt very compelled to do something about it. 
I, I'm a nurse and my husband's a businessman, but you know, we pray to, to do something involving missions. And we felt like God was calling us to take part in helping in some way for these Adventist people, our brothers and sisters. Right, and I think that that's a good point, is that we're not talking about people. We're talking about brothers and sisters, and they're our family. And when you were sharing the story with me, it really touched my heart because we were talking about our brothers and sisters. It could easily be any one of us here. And right. so um, what are you doing? Well, we found out, we, as we learned more about the conditions in the camp and the situations with the students and the young people, we found out that Adra Rwanda is actually in the camp, and they provide education up through the ninth grade. But after that, there's no funding for further education. And so my husband and I started an organization called Impact Hope. And we're sending students from the camps to grades 10 through 12, plus one year of technical training to Adventist boarding schools in Rwanda. So it's been a really great thing for the students and also to help the Adventist schools in Rwanda as well. We have a picture up about uh, you know this young lady with a mattress. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So for $600 a school year, we can take one refugee and put them into an Adventist boarding school in Rwanda. And they say, you've taken us to Europe. Because the contrast between the camps and these humble Adventist boarding schools is so extreme that they feel like they've really been transported to a different country. And we're just so happy because they, they have this confidence and they feel that their dreams have come true. The dream that they never would have anticipated. Yes, especially the fact that they're in an Adventist school is especially great. Well, the last picture that you saw was Aline. She is one of our shining stars and she's in technical school right now. She graduated last year and now she's taking sewing and she sees the potential now. She has a future and she, can, she knows that she doesn't have to remain in the refugee camps. She doesn't have to continue this, this cycle. And so she's just incredibly grateful for the opportunity to earn money, to make a living, and to provide for not only herself, but her future family. So we're really excited about the impact, and I don't think we'll really understand the full impact until we go to heaven. Absolutely, absolutely, because you're not giving them only hope, but you're also helping them get a, a livelihood, and you're, you're putting them in a position where they can actually do mission work. And that's something that uh, we need to remember, too. Um, so this has only been going on for about two years. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me that about 410 students already have been impacted. Is that correct? That's right. We have 410 students, and they're all sponsorship-based. So we're just, we would always um, encourage anyone who's interested in, in taking part of this program and becoming a sponsor to come to our booth at uh, number 404. It's called Impact Hope. You can also find us on our, our website at impact-hope.org. And uh, we'd love to grow the numbers and help more of our Adventist brothers and sisters for only $50 a month. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And so I really appreciate all of you sharing your stories tonight. And I'm sure that many of us have been blessed. And hopefully we can go home with um, some new ideas as to how we can impact the community around us as well. I remember when I went to my first ASI convention, 
I actually didn't have any idea what ASI even was. I only went because I had a friend that was going who invited me. But when I went to ASI, it opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know existed. To be honest, I didn't know that there were all these ministries, all of these people just doing these different things for the Lord. And it made a strong, strong impact on my life. In fact, I can trace my first desires to go into doing more ministry for God to, to seeing that ASI and people that I met who were working with ASI, working with the Youth for Jesus programs, and other things like that that I would have had no idea about had it not been for ASI. I sense a need in our church for, for a way that people can come together. For a place to to belong in the church, I feel like sometimes it gets portrayed like the epitome of Adventism is going to church and paying tithe and maybe participating in outreach sometime. But in my personal experience, it's so much more than that. And there are so many of us that are striving in our daily lives to do things for the Lord, but but where do we fit? Where do we come together? I mean, how do we get re-inspired and networked and get the support that we need? And I see that as a huge need. I see that as something that if we could really form that kind of network and do this together, that all of us could benefit, that all of us could grow and feel like we mean something in the church. Like we have a purpose, we have a place in the church and that God is going to really be able to use, yeah, not just the pastors, not just the elders, but those of us in everyday life to do something for him. Hello again, and welcome again to this segment of ASI Members in Action, where we are listening to what ASI members are doing in their part of God's vineyard. Have you enjoyed the story so far this evening? Each one of these gentlemen represent a different ministry, so welcome to all of you who are joining me here on the platform also this evening. Von Sparrow is the president and uh, of Wildwood Institute and Lifestyle Center and Clinic. Von, welcome. Um, we're going to be talking about Wildwood for just a minute, but before we do that, I'd like to um, maybe introduce you, and perhaps you could tell us where you're from and uh, how you got involved and how long you've been involved as president there at Wildwood. I'd noticed a little southern accent in your speech, but not the kind of southern accent that you'd run into here in Texas. It comes from the deep south. Deep south, okay. South Africa. <laughs> south Africa. I was born to farming parents in South Africa. Uh, at the end of my high school, my father uh, wanted us to get some education, went to Helderberg College in South Africa. Um, when we graduated there, we went farming. And the Lord convicted us to get into, involved in medical missionary work, worked it out that uh, we could come to Wildwood, and we've been there for about 12 and a half years. Wonderful. Give me a bird's eye view of what Wildwood is and what you do there. Wildwood is a, a ministry of dedicated lay people, volunteers uh, to service, trying to uh, spread God's love and His word to hasten His soon return. We have a video that will explain a little bit more about what Wildwood does, and so perhaps if uh, we could roll that video at this moment, and it will give you a good idea as to what Wildwood's about. Thank you. Hidden among the outskirts of Chattanooga, 
there is a place called Wildwood. A community of Seventh-day Adventists that focus on the ministry of Christ by claiming lives for his kingdom through medical missionary work, health evangelism, and social interactions. Uh, the environment, the, the mindset of the place is beautiful. It's not the money, it's the love, the understanding, the person in general the physical part and the spiritual part. We can't come here and not smiling. Everybody wave to you, hi. So it's, it's new, but I love it. I hope I can use that to change the mindset of my people where I came from. What I love about Wildwood is that Wildwood is so much more than what happens here on this campus. It may start here, but then people go out from here and they go out and they start lifestyle centers, they start projects, they do mission work, they change their communities, they work with their churches. Wildwood is basically like a launching pad. It's somewhere that people come, they get inspired, they get trained, but then they go to all corners of the world and do amazing things for the Lord. How does something like this happen? Wildwood is the result of many miracles. It's inspiring reading and hearing about those numerous miracles from the many resources that we have available. The men and women who started Wildwood had a vision. They believed in a ministry that would impact the world as well as their local community. We are now living in the consummation of that vision as medical missionary work has extended across the globe. Vaughn, you recently celebrated an anniversary there at Wildwood. What was your, what, what year was it? 75 years. 75 years. And in that time, there have been many miracles that have happened, but some challenges also. And yes. I understand that this year there was a challenge, but you uh, were able to overcome that with God's help. Tell us a little bit about it. I, I believe that we are blessed but challenged. And this uh, past year, we've had challenges on our education front with our medical missionary training program. We were seeking a different type of visa. And as we asked questions, the state decided that uh, they needed to shut us down. And they told us to remove our webpage, and uh, they did some further investigation. But by the Lord's grace, we were able to get legal opinion and as we uh, sought that legal opinion, we were, were eventually granted religious exemption for our education program, and that was a, a real blessing. You see the Lord's hand in, in that decision then. Amen. Amen. So the education department is back up and running. Back up and running, Not and we're problem. training missionaries that go all around the world. And uh, there is a project that ASI is helping you with. What's that all about? We have a community center that we've started. It's a project, and thanks to ASI, and uh, our donors, we are able to start this project. We've had many challenges in location, in licensing, weather, but we are ready to roll, and hopefully by the end of the summer, we will have at least the, the earthwork done. And so it's been a real blessing, and again, we want to thank you to ASI for the support that has uh, been given to us. In that 75 years, again, many, many stories that couldn't be recounted, but perhaps you have just one that you could share with us? We have so many, and there's, um, on the education front, we have lives being changed, characters being formed. In our lifestyle center, though, 
we, we get to see firsthand God's healing. And Michelle was experiencing numbness, tingling in her arms, hands, and feet and legs. And eventually she was diagnosed with MS. And after a lot of medication, a hospital stay, uh, she decided that she didn't want to continue with this the rest of her life. After she was released from hospital, she decided to go on a juice fast and take things into her own hands. She experienced healing in a significant way, but a short time after, she started to slip again. And her own words here, we called Wildwood and within a few hours we arrived. I did not think that I could financially afford to stay the 25 days, but God opened the door. It was such a blessing under the care of doctors who are not trying to push poison into your veins, but who use God's method of healing combined with their knowledge of the body to facilitate healing and restoration. And she says, I appreciated the fact that the doctors took time to pray with each of us as patients. I've seen him work some miracles in my life and in the lives of the other guests that were with me. Before I left Wildwood, my symptoms had abated. During my time at Wildwood, I received not only physical healing, but also emotional and spiritual healing. And as we listen to these testimonies of these lifestyle guests, it's a highlight every two weeks in our program to hear how the Lord is actively healing people and changing lives. It's, the physical healing is important, right. but it's the spiritual healing that we're really after, That's right. isn't it? Well, Vaughn, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. John Davidson is the president of Eden Valley. Perhaps you could tell me, was, um, let's say, five years ago, the being the president of Eden Valley something that you were planning to do and was uh, on the top of your list? Well, five years ago... I wouldn't... Excuse oh, I'm sorry about that. Five years ago? No. I, <laughs> one year ago, no. Really? Okay. Well, it wasn't on the, it was not on the radar. Okay. Tell us how it happened. Well, uh, it's, it kind of is a, a, a longer story, but uh, it happened by uh, Lisa Hodges coming to my house and asking me to do that. But there is kind of a lengthy story that, that goes along with that. Yeah. Uh, we don't have time for the whole story, of course, but the, the key here is when God calls... You need to be ready to answer it. And we discussed just a little bit about what that means for you. Okay. Tell us about that. Well, being born in a Seventh-day Adventist home and baptized at 12 years old, like many of us, you grow up being a Seventh-day Adventist, but really not dedicating your life to the Lord. You do all the right things, but you don't dedicate yourself. And my dad would tell me as I grew up, and even he would tell me today, you have to dedicate yourself unconditionally. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Unconditionally? Think about that for a second. When, when a military army surrenders unconditionally, and that's your heart giving that to God and saying, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Amen. Now, we've got a video that explains just a little bit about what Eden Valley is about. And also, you've had some challenges in the last year or so, and so we want to know what those are. But if we could look at the video, that'll explain what Eden Valley is and what you do there. In 1962, Eden Valley Institute of Wellness was founded at the foothills of the Rocky Mountain National Park. A lifestyle center was started a few years later to reach out to those who were in health crisis. 
implementing God's natural laws of health outlined in the Bible in our treatments, our guests experience rest, healing, and peace in the beautiful nature setting surrounding the property. More importantly, they were brought to the knowledge of Jesus, who only can give true healing, both physically and spiritually. Today, Eden Valley is blessed with more than 30 dedicated volunteers on staff. Our two-week natural remedies program has helped hundreds of people to restore their health and their faith. Our three-month educational program, which combines medical missionary work and evangelism, has provided our students with knowledge and tools that have been used to improve the lives of believers and non-believers all across the globe. In 2017, we also started a new program geared towards health professionals. The Natural Remedies Program for Health Professionals is an intensive one-month program designed to equip individuals with medical background. Here at Eden Valley, our mission is to restore the lives of our guests, students, and community members through the use of scripture-based education, natural remedies, and spiritual nourishment. But the challenges are big and ever-changing. In 2010, Eden Valley operations were threatened by some requirements imposed by the county. Included in their list was a $1 million new sewer plant. By God's grace, since August 2016, the new sewer plant has been fully operational. The boys' dormitory has been recently renovated with funds donated for this purpose. All rooms receive new carpet, a fresh coat of paint, and new furniture. Eden Valley's Lifestyle Center must be expanded. More space and new equipment means we can accommodate more guests and perform treatments and programs that are not possible with our current structure. Until our Lord and Savior returns, many people still need to be touched by the medical missionary work. Please pray for Eden Valley as we continue in our journey to share God's love through the gift of better health. Now, John, the video mentioned one challenge, but there's another challenge that you mentioned also, and you're a recipient of the project offering that will help with that challenge. Tell us what it is. Yeah, that challenge is a, a new kitchen. The county came, just like they did with the sewer plant there, and they said we needed to make a change. And the change is we, we needed a, a commercial kitchen. We are cooking there, and uh, it's, it's not legal, if you will. And so we are working towards building a, a brand new commercial kitchen. So they said, we love what you're doing, you just need to be legal. <laughs> so we can be legal. Okay. Um, it wouldn't be complete if you didn't tell us a little bit of a story about what's going on and what the Lord's doing at Eden Valley right now. Well, you saw a little bit about the education department, students uh, learning to do what we do there at Eden Valley. Our Lifestyle Center, I'm just going to tell you a quick story at the Lifestyle Center. There was a, a group of people that came, uh, it was about a month ago, we do an outreach session, it's one week long, and there was a man there that uh, talked to me and he said, I, I really didn't have a good picture of God, I had a picture in my mind of what God was like, but after dealing with our people there in the Lifestyle Center and studying the Bible each morning, we have worship at 6.30 each morning, he says, now I have a new picture of what God is. God is love. The way that you treat, a, treat me here, 
shows what God is like. And so his complete picture of God has changed. I see a loving God, a God who wants to, me to spend eternity with him. Yeah, that's the picture that we need to leave with people, isn't it? That's In fact, right. whether they're Bible-believing Christians or not Bible-believing Christians, they still need to have that picture from Amen. all of our institutions. John, thank you for talking to us this evening. Thank you. The next organization is a, a new organization called Adventist Help. And uh, in fact, it, it's a, I guess you could say, actually a fast-moving, up-and-coming, entrepreneurial, rough-and-tumble kind of organization. And uh, so you're doing some exciting work. I'd like to introduce to some of you, probably most of you know, Kim Busel. He's been in mission work for many decades and a good friend. And also a new friend, Dr. Michael Von Horsten, I think I mangled your name appropriately, and uh, you are also involved in, in, in this new work. I'd like for Kim to take just a moment to give us the Cliff Notes version of what the work is and how it really came to be. It's, it's something that's fairly brand new and just always evolving. So give us a, an overview of it, Kim. Uh, two years ago at the ASI Europe convention, we went to Budapest, we found 3,500 refugees sleeping in the local train station. An ASI member from North America came to me and said, Kim, can you get me 10 minutes with your board? I said, sure. He presented to the board an opportunity to serve these hundreds of thousands of people in a tangible way as they were fleeing war and terror in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and we had no idea what would happen. Three months later, what you see here, Adventist Help Initiative was created. We ended up with a bus turned into a clinic on the shores of Lesbos. This facility was the one and only medical emergency facility on that island. As you see the, the picture of the boats here, people coming in, um, just imagine yourself having lived in a desert, you end up here. We all know that thousands of people have drowned on their way. Uh, Lord led wonderfully in this ministry. Thousands of people have been ministered unto. Uh, volunteers from around the world fly themselves. The, they, they pay for themselves to be there, and they serve the needs of these folks. When they closed um, Turkey so the boats couldn't come out, they closed the gates of Greece so the refugees couldn't enter Europe, they asked us to establish uh, a facility at a refugee camp. And you saw in that slide a 40-foot container. Uh, a person whom we all know, Elder Neil, Elder, <laughs> did I say that right? Ted Wilson. Sorry, Ted. Yes. I remember your dad. Um, heard about Adventist help. He appealed to Veriata Fereda, the president of ASI Europe. He said, can Adventist help come to Iraq? There's a great need in Iraq for this type of ministry. Uh, we kind of drew sticks to see who would win the trip to Iraq, and I won. So I got to go to Iraq, and shortly thereafter, my good friend here, Dr. Michael Van Orsten from South Africa, came to spearhead that work in Iraq. Uh, he, he was a great strength to us in Greece. And so in Iraq, what you're going to see is a partnership between MENA, the Middle East, North Africa, uh, Middle East, North Africa, right? And ADRA, and Adventist Help, and volunteers from around the world. Dr. Michael, maybe you can give us an idea of what typically is going on at this, um, well, it's a hospital there in, in Iraq, and also um, how did it get going exactly there in that, in that vicinity, and, and did you do it all by yourself? No. 
So, um, so this has been one of the most exciting um, projects I've ever been involved in in my medical career. Um, so we, we came to Iraq in, in February this year. Um, I went there to possibly open up a small clinic like we opened in Greece, possibly two or three beds. And um, I walked into the ADRA office and um, we talked about the possibilities for opening up this unit and um, collaborating with ADRA Kurdistan. And from there, it just skyrocketed. I actually don't even know how it happened, but um, the, the, the facility we have on the ground now um, is a 45-bed hospital, uh, um, a six-consultation room primary care unit, a mental health unit, a dental unit that's, that's, that's busy um, being developed at the moment, uh, a nine-bed emergency unit with a three-bed high-care unit, an X-ray unit, an ultrasound facility, and a laboratory, plus a pharmacy, um, which is absolutely nothing short of a miracle. Um, so, yeah, we're really excited to be on the ground. Just to give you an idea of the location, um, we are actually 20 kilometers east of the uh, 20 miles east of the city of Mosul. Um, so, for those of you who've been following Middle East and um, the, the events happening in the Middle East, this is, this is the, one of the strongholds of ISIS. And um, the liberation process that's un been underway for the past um, two months in the area has displaced hundreds of thousands of people. And currently, we, um, there's, a, there's a cluster of five IDP internally displaced persons camps um, with collective populations of 100,000 people. Um, that's 20,000 children um, sitting with no access to emergency care inpatient facilities on the ground. And um, that's where ADRA and Adventist Help have, have stepped in and put this facility together. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's incredible to be there. We, um, just to give you an idea of people we're dealing with, um, this is a population that has absolutely no medical care for three years. Um, you know, they, um, every day we're seeing children that, are, that have been starving to death. They've been living on, um, on, on rice water. The, the, the parents have been eating grass, which they buy for $12 a kilogram. They've been eating cat meat that they, that they buy for $45 per kilogram. That's, they've been starving. It's been a siege of biblical proportions. Mm. And... Um, so we're dealing with children with marasmus, with severe acute malnutrition. We're dealing with people with severe mental health issues. Um, we're dealing with people who've, been, who've seen crucifixions on a day-to-day -day basis, people that have had their children beheaded, um, people who've, who've had their, their brothers and sisters thrown off buildings, um, who've been sex slaves, who've been tortured. Um, we see children in our clinics that have, have been electrocuted and, and tortured by ISIS. Um, so this is a, this is a group of, of, of people that are incredibly vulnerable. Um, these, are, these are not terrorists. These are victims of terrorism. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we are here to reach out to them. It's, it's, it's a beautiful um, entering wedge into the 1040 window. Yeah. This type of work is, is something that you could probably tell us uh, stories for, for hours. Unfortunately, we only have a few seconds left. So if someone wants to get involved in the, in the work that you're doing, if someone here is listening and they'd like to get involved, how can they get involved in what you're doing? Well, right now, we have an Adventist Help booth here at the convention, and I invite you to come see Klaus, see Michael, see myself. Uh, this has been a faith venture from day one. We responded to a call that God put before us, and it's been a miracle to watch it happen. Every two weeks, we have bills to pay, and we have no money in the bank account. We need volunteers from around the world to keep this hospital open. We went from a 40-foot clinic to a 45-bed hospital. We have no administration. We have no paid help. It's, it's simply a miracle that we see God working to touch the lives of people, to share the love of Christ in a tangible way in countries where we have not had success in years past. Please come by the booth, or you can visit www.adventisthelp.org. Thank you so much, gentlemen. And ASI is praying for
for each one of your ministries. We'll keep you in prayer. And we know that God is blessing, and he will continue to bless in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cal. I do what I do because I believe that the gospel is the most beautiful, compelling thing there is, and at times I don't believe that we communicate it as beautifully as we can. So I design for Ministries of the Adventist Church because the message is beautiful, the audience doesn't always see it. I think ASI is really great because it provides an opportunity for me to meet a bunch of really great people who have been doing very inspiring work in the church. and as I want to work with Adventist Ministries and help them communicate what they are doing. I, I love knowing what they are doing, and it uh, inspires me to be a better Christian, and I, I think that's something that we can all see as having really great value. We're delighted to be here tonight and to talk about some fantastic things that God is doing in the lives of people who are ministering right out on the front lines. I want to get right to it. Um, Fred and Jill Cornforth are here. I want you to know that Fred is our new chapter president for the North Pacific Union Conference of, and, and ASI, our ASI chapter up there. Fred, uh, you were a part of ASI a long time ago, but tell us. Yeah, no, it's remarkable to think to be back involved with ASI the last two or three years. There's been so much good done by ASI that um, we felt drawn back to it, and we've become uh, very involved, uh, very involved, and it's been a wonderful experience. We just see so much potential, and as you can tell from all the other people before, just wonderful miracles of God happening in people's lives every day. So in Boise, which is where our home is, uh, we just completed an amen clinic where we had uh, just under 1,400 people that came uh, th over a three-day period. And I think one of the most remarkable things to me was that over half of our volunteers were uh, in their 20s and 30s, so it was a younger group, uh, but it was really remarkable to see these people getting involved in people's lives, and uh, my wife has some stories that she'd like to tell that came from the clinic itself. Awesome. What a pleasure it was to work in the mission field of Boise. I know that we hear about the mission field being so far away, but really in our hometowns, you can find mission fields wherever you live. So yes, it was a privilege for us to serve uh, there in this capacity at this medical clinic. Um, I am a pediatric nurse by education and by training, and so I gravitate towards the children. And one of my stories is about a little girl, her name was Nami, and her mother, actually their whole family. There were three kids and a mother and a father that came to my attention because they were a very special family. They had waited in line for five hours to finally get her daughter to be seen for vision, only to find out that she didn't quite make the age bracket um, that we had advertised for, and so were turned away. Long story short, we they went back in line and waited again and waited the three hours to get to dental because she also had a toothache. Um, so they made it to the front of the line only to find out that you know, it was getting to be the end of the day. And these people were so gracious and, and beautiful about having to wait this whole time. They weren't angry. So we ended up getting them in because we realized she really needed her vision done. We got her through the, the process really quick. And she just was so excited about finally getting glasses. She just said, I just want to see, I just want to see. So upon testing, found out that she 
had such horrible vision that we couldn't help her that day, and she was just sobbing, you know, I just want to see. Come to find out her family, her, her parents, her mother was a stay-at-home mom, but her dad had three jobs, and they were all part-time, so they didn't have any health insurance. And she wasn't going to be able to get screened for vision until second grade, and she was only six years old. So she was going to have to wait several years to get screened. So we ended up giving her the strongest prescription glasses that we could and sent her home. So she couldn't still see very well, but she was just sobbing when she put on her bright yellow glasses that she had picked. She was so excited. So we know in a few weeks later she got her real glasses. So we know that we just helped this one family. They came back the next day and got all their dental work done. And um, it was just such a privilege to be placed in, in her life. Another super fast story is we had, it seemed like a lot of our people that came for the dental needed extractions, and a lot of them had job interviews that they were really looking forward to doing, so wanted to be their best. So we just really felt like we were empowering people by helping their health. Our theme in Boise was Love Heals, and that's going to be the title of our Northwest Convention uh, in the spring of, of uh, 2018. But uh, we had a home that our company had built that was on the market, and a realtor had showed the home and had noticed that the crawl space cover was not quite uh, in there straight and correct. And after the showing, went back and looked and found in the crawl space that there was uh, a sleeping bag and some clothes. And we found out that a young man, 18 years old, who had aged out of the foster care program and was still just a junior in high school, uh, had nowhere else to live, and so he had somehow found his way into the home and was lived there at night, and then when he'd go off to school during the day, he would put his stuff in the crawl space. And so that impacted us, and we're setting up some homes in the area that have an, an older couple that will have two or three of these kids that have aged out of the foster care system, and we're hoping that they're going to be able to live there for two or three years until they get on their feet, maybe even get into college is our hope. Uh, we're also helping with a number of orphanages around the world. It's been a huge blessing to us. Uh, there's been about 30 or so orphanages that we have helped uh, in different places. And there's just, you know, sometimes there's so much need. And I think that's one of the positive factors about ASI is that, you know, you can't do it alone. And there's so much encouragement that comes when you're with people that have that like-mindedness of being a conduit for God's love. And that's something that Jill and I both, we have committed ourselves to, is seeking out people that are like-minded, that are like-hearted. And whether it's a clinic, an orphanage, a foster home, um, one, uh, two last little things that we're involved with too, and I shouldn't say little, but uh, I don't know if, there, if we have the slide about human trafficking. There's millions of people that are caught up in human trafficking right now, and only 1% are actually rescued from that environment. Can you imagine that? Just 1% are actually rescued. And we, our area in Boise, which has the community of Boise, about 700,000 people, uh, has over 70% church attendance, but we have one of the highest hit rates for reported human trafficking. So even though you would think it would be a Christian community, uh, we've got a real problem on our hands, and we're also reaching out and trying to do something there as well. So Fred and Jill, you are actually in the business of commercial real estate. That's correct. But you are finding every way that you can to do ministry. Every minute. Amen. That's awesome. D. Casper. 
Dee, yes. glad to have you here. Uh, now, Dee, it's my understanding that you grew up in the shadow of a big satellite dish. <laughs> That's true. Tell us about that. Yeah, I grew up about 25 to 30 miles away from 3ABN World Headquarters and had never actually heard of a Seventh-day Adventist for 21 years and found it on television in the fall of 2006. Okay, yeah. so the television station next door you discovered in 2006. So what programs did you start watching? Doug Batchelor's uh, Most Amazing Prophecy series uh, that he did, Barry and Springs, was the first thing. It was super helpful. I remember thinking, I wasn't doctrinally rooted. I remember thinking, I've never heard this before, but that's what the text says. And the more I was hearing, uh, after that was David Asterix's Discover Prophecy series. And um, from there, I went to find anything of David's that I could on the internet to just... You were baptized more. when? Uh, at December 4th, 2010. Okay, December 4th, 2010 is your anniversary. Yeah. And you became a Seventh-day Adventist because of the television station next door and yeah. their ministry. Yeah. And then you've become involved in ministry. In fact, I believe you are now leading a ministry right next door to 3ABN. Yeah, our ministry is actually located on uh, Miracle Lane. We're on Miracle Lane right next to the original TV studio. Uh, so Unseen Media Group, the ministry I work for, that's where we're located. Yeah. Okay. Now tell us a little bit about that ministry. So we are a professional filmmaking organization, so we create content uh, internally, but we're doing a lot of work for other organizations. So this picture here is uh, some devotional videos that GYC has been releasing through Facebook. Uh, we produce those for them. Uh, there's another video we, or a picture we have right after this of a cooking program we did for a physician here in Texas, uh, Dr. Donna Cooper Dockery. And she has a, a television program encouraging people to get healthy and how to use food as medicine. So we actually filmed some cooking programs for those television uh, shows that she has while we were down in Texas earlier this year. Uh, we've done stuff for like Net School of Evangelism. We made their promo video and other places. So uh, that's the industry that we use to raise funds to do a lot of ministry. So we do filmmaking professionally, but our burden is to raise funds to use internally uh, to be able to do a lot of ministry. So we have, uh, basically, our burden is to make content to reach young people through social media uh, that's principled, that's Christ-centered, that's modern. But we also have uh, training programs to equip young people to do media. So uh, the next picture that we have here is from our summer film camp. Uh, basically 13 to 17 year olds for two weeks in the summers. Uh, they get a chance to actually learn how to make their own short film. We teach them how to write a script, uh, how to do the storyboarding, how to film with 4K cameras, how to edit uh, on Final Cut Pro, and we let them use MacBook Pros to do that. And then we have a film festival to 3ABN Church at the end of those two weeks for them to show what they've made. Uh, it was a huge success the year that we did it last year. And then we also have a nine-month internship training program called IDEA. This is one of our interns actually giving a devotional at Harvard Hills Academy where we did a week of prayer this last fall. And the next picture is of um, small groups happening where we had a youth event called War Plans, basically training churches to start small groups and particularly to grow their youth groups in their community, dealing with heart issues for young people, shortened to the point like TED Talk format. Then they break into small groups and start to digest even more. And then we kind of leave them with materials to watch together, then do small groups for the following weeks to grow their youth group. So that's our burden is media and evangelism. The IDEA program, the nine-month training program, is basically like film school and a school of evangelism put together. 
So if people have an interest in digital media, but also have an interest in how to give a Bible study, how to preach, how to share their faith, we teach them all of that, and it's an internship format. So it's not just sitting in a classroom all day and learning. It's very, very hands-on. So when I travel and do a week of prayer and speak at a school somewhere, they come with, they get to share too. When we travel and do filming for GYC and others, uh, our girls last year actually filmed that and did the editing for it. So you get to work on hands-on projects to advance the world church's mission. It's an awesome opportunity. We're really excited for it. So that's the ministry side that we're doing. We travel and speak in churches. We do weekends, a week of prayers, and uh, any youth events, things like that. That's one of our biggest burdens is to not just make content, but also be involved in personal ministry. And probably the most amazing testimony I've witnessed in the times I've been at Unseen since August of 2015 is uh, someone given a DVD of a sermon I shared at the church locally. So running this filmmaking industry has allowed us to do lots of personal ministry and preach in churches and do other things. It's what keeps the doors open. So an opportunity that came from this was I preached in a church and a family member gave them the DVD of the message and I covered the sufferings of Christ through the cross. And uh, this person has wrestled with homosexuality for years since they were a young person. And they heard this message, and they had the most profound response to the gospel I've ever seen in my life. And they, they could not turn this message off. They literally put it on repeat when the message ended and put that on nonstop repeat for days. They even left this thing playing for their dogs to listen to when they left their house. They couldn't turn it off because for the first time in his life, he saw that he could be saved. First time in his life, he had an awful experience in religion, not in Adventism, another church, but he just been had received a whole lot of scrutiny and unbelief being heaped upon him by Christians. And so he thought, if this is the way that Christians feel about me, this must be the way that God feels about me. But to hear this message, he saw that God is not hate and that God actually loves and cares for me. And what ended up happening was he, he told me the most profound thing I've ever heard in my life. He said, that message separated me from being gay. It literally separated him from a former identity he had had. And he said that it was, for the first time in my life, I saw that I don't have to identify myself as a homosexual, that Jesus doesn't see me that way. And just an amazing, amazing story uh, that has continued to strengthen my faith in the gospel and to know that because of the work that God has allowed us to do in filmmaking, we can actually see this make a difference in people's lives all around the country. D, if, if I'm hearing correctly, and it's very moving, thank you, there's two really good passions, two really strong passions you have. One is training. Yes. You want to train other people, especially young people, to yes. be able to utilize the passion that God has given them in their skill development, but you're also reaching out and touching specific people through yes. your ministry. Yeah, personal ministry, 100%. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you very thank much for what you're doing. Thank you. It's my privilege to introduce my good friend, Radim Passer. Radim uh, hails, he comes from the beautiful city of Prague, Czech Republic, and uh, Radim is a businessman. Uh, he actually is in commercial, he makes his living in commercial real estate. We have two commercial real estate people up here today. But Radim, several years ago, you discovered that your passion was to see people come to Christ and evangelism. And you heard about a little program called New Beginnings. And I want you just to tell us a little bit about how you have used New Beginnings, which of course all of you know is the uh, DVD project where we actually teach lay people to preach sermons. You've used that extensively in Prague. Tell us about it. 
Good evening, ASI. We would like to thank ASI family for the amazing tool, which is New Beginnings. We're using this, uh, this project typically two ways. One of them is uh, public meetings, typically five times a week, which we are doing uh, once a year. And we started about one and a half year ago to do something for the business people because business people very rarely can at attend all these meetings five times a week. So we decided to prepare for people from business community uh, during three days, all 26 lectures plus life story of the preacher. And uh, thanks God, uh, it's feasible. That's awesome. So two ways, this one to point out, the traditional way of preaching you've used where you do the regular programs, but also the intensive. And that intensive is something new. We've all been very impressed watching that three-day intensive, Radim. You've tested that out. Sometimes the Europeans lead the way, and we're glad for that. But, you know, there was a, an experience that you had. You took a group down to Tanzania. And in Tanzania, you were going to do a mission trip from, from Central Europe. And you were going to go on that project. Tell us a little bit about how, you were, how many people you took and how this guy sitting next to you, Richard. Richard, glad to have you here too. How Richard got involved in this? I work with uh, Richard's father uh, a long time for private videos and for the corporation videos for us. And uh, his father asked me uh, before we went to Tanzania to take also his son with us. And uh, my decision was immediate because I hope it would be a great experience for him. Okay. Now, Richard, uh, you, I, I want to direct a question to you now. You got to go on this trip. What was your situation right at that time in your life? Well, uh, Dan, my situation, I can tell you at that time, I was a big mess. I was a big wreck. Um, in my high school years, I ended up uh, experimenting with some drugs, and I ended up uh, being addicted for about 10 years of my life. And right around the time that uh, I met Radim is uh, about the time that my mom had enough with me over here in the United States. And she said, go back to your father and work with him for some time. Maybe he'll straighten you out. <laughs> so thinking that uh, I would just go back to the Czech Republic and kind of escape this addiction, um, that did not happen. Actually, it got even worse. I ended up using heroin and methamphetamines over there. Um, I did end up meeting Radim and started uh, doing some video work for him with my father. And some of the first work that we had the opportunity to do was the New Beginnings. And when we started the New Beginnings, I started seeing some very revolutionary things that I've never heard of. I mean, I've heard of Jesus before, but just as, you know, some maybe mythical character. But the things that I heard there, the whole 25 lectures we had, I mean, my world got flipped upside down. And uh, so that, that was a beginning of uh, maybe some sort of at least a mental transformation. So then soon enough, uh, I heard the theory because I did three of those uh, seminars. And after that, but my addiction kept getting worse and worse. I mean, I, I was just a wreck. I mean, I could still videotape, I could still uh, function and all that, but as long as I had my dose, that was priority at that time. That was my God. So. What ended up happening, my father already knew of that, so he asked Redeem, he said, look, can, uh, can I take my son with me to, you know, to Tanzania, maybe 
that'll have an influence because, I mean, trust me, he was hopeless with me. I mean, he didn't know what to do anymore. So Redeem said yes, and uh, I appreciate that a lot because they knew about my situation and, uh, you know, I was sketchy so, to say the least. So we have, you know, risk takers. One of the things about ASI, business people have to be risk takers. So Radim, you took a risk that this guy could come and still contribute, right? Are you glad you did that risk? We are all risky people for Jesus. That's right. We're looking for Jesus. So you were grateful that he took the risk on you, Richard, and you recognized that he was taking a risk. Uh, yeah, I did recognize that. I mean, it was a big risk, but at the same time, what ended up happening is that I was there for about one month, and that was the first time that I was actually in a community with Seventh-day Adventists for one month. I mean, can go anywhere, you know. And I met this other guy, Bill, and he had the same experience as, uh, or he, he went through an addiction as well. So I talked to him, and he was the first person I actually opened up to because, uh, you know, at that time I was kind of hiding it. I mean, I was kind of embarrassed about it. So Bill was like, man, I was, you know, I was, you know, an addict as well with my wife, but we gave ourselves to the Lord, and from day to day it was just gone. From that, at that time, I mean, I was just going through hopelessness. I thought it was never going to end. I mean, they tell you, you know, at all these meetings and AA and all that, they're like, oh, you're an addict for life. So that, that's a very hopeless situation. But so he was like, just give yourself, uh, give yourself over to Jesus. Just talk to him, pray. So I went back to the Czech Republic after this whole inspiring moment. And about, still took me another two years. I mean, it was quite some time. And uh, I went to rehab there, and I did just that when that uh, big withdrawal came through because that was seven years of opiates, and I can tell you right now, that's, uh, it's rough. So over there in the detox, I, uh, I said, Lord, I was like, if you're out there and if you're listening to me like all these people said that you were, I promise I will go the right way. Just get me out of this situation. <laughs> and I can tell you that the next day, he did just that. Amen. I want you all to know. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead. Say, express your feelings. Um, there's a, there's a two-part formula that Richard has shared, and I want all of you both, those of you who may be watching from home right now, those of you who are in the audience, you may have struggled with addictions yourself. You may have a family member that struggles with addictions. Addictions are everywhere in our society. But I want you to know that here's a man that had a two-pronged approach. One was give your heart to Jesus and pray, right? When a man gives or a woman gives their heart to Jesus and prays, things happen. Secondly, you got professional help and went into rehab, and the prayers were answered, and you have had an incredible journey since that time. Now, I want to take a few more minutes and just talk about your uh, journey, okay? Now, in that journey, since you had that victory and you began, your life has been full of all kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so the first thing was uh, after this uh, miraculous healing that came about, and this is just after one prayer that, I mean, I didn't do anything else. I just prayed. So the next day, I felt like I was maybe 10 years younger, So, and I had this like tingle in my spine, and I just knew that th this was the way. I mean, everything just clicked. From, you know, from what I learned from the new beginnings and everything just clicked in all together. And so what happened then is that obviously I went through the whole rehab and I came out fresh. I mean, I, I went out of there, I was like, I'm drug free for life. I mean, people are like, are you crazy? You know, you, you'll be back here again. And you know, they're doubting me and all that. But I knew already in my heart that once I follow Jesus that he'll be able to get me out. And you know, frankly, I was like, well, if what I was doing back then was bad, so I needed to go the totally opposite direction, not just stay off of drugs. I mean, I needed to go the whole nine yards as far away as I can. 
And, uh, and I was like, well, the best thing to do is to follow Jesus. I mean, he was sinless. I mean, he, you know, he was the definition of good. Yeah. So I did just that. And uh, from then on, um, I figured I was like, I got to tell more people about this. I mean, obviously, I mean, this is, if I would have known this early, I would have done this way back. So what ended up happening is uh, I ended up going back to the rehab um, because there's these AA meetings that uh, you're allowed to go back to uh, as a member of the rehab, <laughs> Prague's finest. Um, I was able to go back over there and uh, share, share my testimony with them. Uh, during the winter time, I go there at least once a week. So Okay, good. Uh, last, last question I just want to ask. If you, lots of people are listening to you right now, and your testimony is, is a very powerful one, Richard. If you could say anything you wanted to to any of these people or anybody who might be watching on television, what would you say? Okay, well, I would say that uh, we do have to understand that it's really difficult with addicts. I mean, uh, you can't trust them, uh, which is why I was even surprised that Radim did. I mean, knowing that, you know, I would, I could, you know, cause a lot of trouble. I was very uh, unreliable. So I would say to them, uh, definitely have compassion and a lot of love. Um, you know, the trust part, you can, you always have to keep an eye out. But the prayer, I think, is very important. The prayer is really important because I know that Radim and a bunch of people from the organization were praying for me because my dad reached out to them. I didn't know that until later. And uh, so the prayer is definitely very important. And then, uh, like you said in the beginning, I mean, the involvement in the community, I think, was very strong for me. I mean, that was a big testimony because, I mean, you can hear a lot of things, let's say, on the street. but when you involve somebody in, a, in like a Seventh-day Adventist community that they can see the true love. I mean, I was telling myself, I was like, these people have something that I've never had. I mean, they, they have some kind of love that I really, really want. And that's what ended up happening. That's what ended up drawing me near to that. So the prayer and then the involvement. Amen. Can you say amen? Thank you all. Now, Radim, are you, last question, are you glad that you invited him to Tanzania? I am grateful to God because He is so good and always, this is experience by experience, He has uh, overcame our expectations. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I remember once upon a time I was, um, I started pastoring very early. I was about 21 years old and uh, I remember sitting in my first board meeting and I asked them, I didn't know about Robert's Rules of Order or anything of that kind. And I said, what do you guys want to talk about? That board meeting started at about 6 o'clock and we ended at 10 o'clock that evening, four hours. I learned an important thing about organization. And that is, before we expect to have a great outcome, we must be willing to work beforehand. The reason why that board meeting took about four hours is I realized that I had not, I didn't have the tools to do something great or to organize the meeting. And as a result, we dragged down and wasted time. And I believe things like ASI, GYC help with those things. They give you tools, they give you a vision so that you're able to work well and not waste people's time and really have a great outcome at the end and be efficient. And that is my tip that I want to leave with you, work and work and work well for Christ. Good evening, ASI. 
we have another offering in action segment for you. This is a project report. Chester Clark is a board member of Washita Hills in Amity, Arkansas. Tell us what was the project and how was the money used? Well, you know, we really appreciate ASI because there's a vision not just to help our self-supporting institutions, but also to help them help themselves. Right. And uh, through your generous funding, we were able to build a warehouse to house our literature evangelism books. Now, what this does for us is several things, but importantly, it helps us to buy books in larger quantities so that our students, when they go out and sell them, can have more profit, the school can have more profit, and we can continue to do this work um, and, and bless others. Now, this went beyond the students at Washita Hills Academy and College. There are other benefits that uh, other schools were able to benefit from this, right? It does, because you know, we were able to buy in such larger quantities. For example, the, uh, the different organizations, schools, unions, publishing departments had gotten together to try to buy to a printing together to get the price down. And they were hoping to get the price down about 25%, but with the larger warehouse and inventory we're able to have, we made a larger order and we were able to get the price down 37% from what we usually would pay for them. And that helped all of us, all the different schools and publishing uh, works, uh, wor workers around the North American division. So it really is a, a, f a phenomenal collaboration it to is. get the word out through literature evangelism. And I think it's also perhaps one of the largest, if not the largest, one-day structure that we've built so far. So it's a, it's a beautiful warehouse. You'll see more about that in a minute. Okay, so we can go ahead and roll that video now? Sure. All right. Canvassing is part of our curriculum. It helps the school, it helps the students, and most importantly, it helps us as an army of youth to fulfill the Gospel Commission. We distribute over 71,000 books a year. But what if other schools, churches, or families want to do the same, but they don't have the volume to get the discounted prices? With that in mind, ASI supported Washita Hills Warehouse Project, and in October 2016, 65 students, the canvassers themselves, and volunteers came together to build the first one-day warehouse. We have a center where small institutions, churches, and individuals can order canvassing books at a discounted price thanks to the vision and generosity of ASI members. I've never seen God's promises so real as when I've been canvassing. This work has changed my life. This could be your experience in your church, in your school, and in your own life. Thank you, ASI, for your faithful commitment to finishing the work. That's incredible, Chester. Very remarkable. We're just very grateful for ASI, for their vision, for their assistance, 
And we just pray that these books will be a blessing to many. You know, I was reading in publishing ministry recently about latent baptisms. And that is that people are reading truths, but as the end events happen, the Holy Spirit is going to give power to what they've been reading. And many are going to be converted to truth by the books that are already out there and the many that are still to be sold. So thank you, ASI. Thank you very much, Chester. Our next interview I'd like to introduce by way of video. Let's watch. So I'm an energy advisor. I uh, specialize advising uh, individuals with their solar needs, as well as uh, air conditioning, um, any electric or gas questions they have. I, my job is to make sure that their home is more energy efficient, which helps the environment out, which also helps the community out, helps the customers out save money. So it's a win-win. It's a great way to you know provide for my family. God has blessed me with. You know, when I first met this guy that my friend had introduced me to, um, he gave me all the answers straight from the Bible. And that's what I respected about having his faith was answers came uh, directly from the Bible and it wasn't uh, man's opinion or man's understanding. So I was very blessed by that. Today my wife and I are seven-day Adventists. We've been blessed by the church, um, more importantly blessed by our Savior Jesus Christ. Um, it's just an absolute blessing to have him in our lives. He saved our marriage. Uh, today's blessed us with uh, a good family, uh, two wonderful kids, son and a daughter, and um, just absolutely um, blessed. And so um, we're very appreciative of our friends and um, those who led us to Christ. And we feel that it's our mission and our desire to lead others to Christ as well. Cool thing is in our, in our community, um, our neighborhood, there's not as many Adventists. Uh, however, there's an Adventist right below us, and since they moved in, they moved in about three months ago, we started thinking, okay, how can we evangelize our little area together? And so we started inviting our neighbors, family members, and friends, non-Adventists, to come over and study. So it's been an absolute blessing. Um, we've reached out to some of our neighbors by just simply inviting them out Friday night. Uh, sometimes it might be a little challenging for them, but the secret is keep being persistent, and they'll eventually come. Uh, they may not come every night, but at least the seeds are planted. And uh, it's just absolutely amazing to see people who are hungering for the truth. They want to study, and they're anxious to study. And here we have the truth. And we'll, the only way to get out there is by making the effort, taking action, going out there and wanting to study with people. So, and uh, it's just really good to know that you know to know the Bible because if people know that you know the Bible, people will bring people to you. And, and, um, and that's exactly what happened to this guy named Alfonso here. Um, you know, his daughter brought uh, him to me, and we began to send the Bible. Before you know it, the daughter. Uh, studies the Bible, and um, you know, father gets baptized, the daughter does profession of faith, her friend Greg gets baptized, and now her two brothers, I believe, are baptized. One is a deacon in the church, um, and I believe even the mom is now doing uh, Bible studies right now, so um, absolutely amazing. And so this guy, Alfonso, um, you know, he loves the Lord, I could tell, and um, you, know, I, we, you know, it's just amazing to see his whole family and household come together in Christ. Excellent. Michael Tuazon is the director for iShare and for Souls West. You kind of That's wear correct. a couple of hats. Um, tell us, so I saw that at the end it said total member involvement, um, but what does iShare have to do with this? iShare is an acronym. It's a ministry of the Pacific Union Conference, and it stands for I Seek to Help Advance Revival and Evangelism. 
And when the General Conference was coming up with this initiative of total member involvement, they realized that in the West Coast, Souls West and Glow and, and uh, iShare, we were doing this already. We were getting young people and laity involved, and so they asked us to make some videos to feature um, all of these people who have been uh, now our Seventh-day Adventists and are winning others to Christ. So we made these small uh, videos, and we want them to go viral, basically. So what do you hope to accomplish by using these vignettes? What we want to do is we realize that there are many people who are doing evangelism, and a lot of times we don't know it. We're in our local church, and maybe we feel alone. Maybe we feel like we're the only ones doing it. And so we thought that one way we can do this is feature stories from all over um, the Pacific Union, where I'm from, and hopefully inspire others, church members and others, and it can go viral. They could share it via social media. They could share it at their church. Um, I hope you saw this, and I hope you're inspired to share this at your church now. And that's what we really want. We want people to go out and to reach Reach others for Jesus. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's exactly what I thought. I said, I have to get my hands on that video and share it with my, my church members. So if the people here would like to be interest, or are interested in getting a hold of these, then how can they get more information? Well, this is just hot off the press. We've just made these. Uh, one way is we have the Total Member Involvement Seminar tomorrow. Uh, myself, Ted Wilson, Renella, Dwayne McKee. We're going to be talking about more methods and we're going to show more videos just like these. But we're going to be putting them on the website. They'll be on the General Conference Total Member Involvement website. And you can also check out our iShareConference.org, and we're going to have them up there in the future. Okay, excellent. Michael, thank you so much for this brainstorming, for get, get, giving us more information about iShare. Thank you for having me, Debbie. You're welcome. And now coming to, the, to join me is um, Randy Bivens. Randy Bivens is the Chief Operating Officer for Weimar, located just outside of Sacramento in California? Yeah, just north of uh, Sacramento, okay. up in the foothills. Now, Weimar um, has the, the, the blessing of being in the offering, as well as one of the recipients of the overflow that we are praying for for tomorrow. So tell Amen. us a little bit about what's going on. There are lots of things going on at Weimar. Well, you know, I, I, I don't even know where to begin, but I tell you where I really want to begin is something that's really happened just in the last year or two year and a half. When I started there four years ago, we started engaging our, our New Start leadership team and we really realized that people come to us with health conditions, but we realize they're fighting a spiritual battle. And we created a team that would provide spiritual support for those patients so that they could actually be more successful in their health choices. And I have to tell you, Debbie, and you know the numbers already, but we're on track for this year. And mind you, these people are paying to allow us to evangelize them. We're on track to baptize over 65 people this year out of New Start. And that's just New Start. We just started a depression recovery and anxiety program, a residential program today. And that program is probably going to get us up to 100. It probably baptizes about another 35. We would baptize probably more out of depression recovery, but there are fewer sessions than we have at New Start. So over 100 patients are getting baptized now every year, and we're not paying for the evangelism. They're paying us to allow us to evangelize them. How, what kind of paradigm is that? That is a great program, that's and that's fun. exciting that we're, we're do, doing that, and, we, and God is really blessing. Now, there, um, there's something else that's really close to my heart that's happening as far as a clinic 
Yeah, absolutely. About, uh, again, about three years ago, we had the vision um, of creating a clinic on campus. We had a clinic building, but they were, the clinic was basically seeing our new start guests and maybe a few clinic people, five a week or something like that. But we had an idea because we're in a demographic in California where there are a lot of Medi-Cal, which is Medicaid, uh, Medi-Cal patients, and they weren't getting adequate care. So we had the plan of, of recruiting young um, aggressive, uh, like-minded physicians and creating a rural health clinic, which is a federal designation so that you can treat those Medi-Cal patients and actually get reimbursed your cost rather than their regressive tax, you know, $30 per contact visit or something like that. They, the team successfully got rural health clinic status and shortly after that, we also um, remodeled a large part of the administration building and put in a, a actually a six-room dental clinic, which also qualifies under Rural Health Clinic. And I know I've told you the numbers already. The, we're now seeing 1,000 patients a month. That's incredible. 1,000 patients a month. And we've actually had our first baptism from the clinic because they have an aggressive um, follow-up and Bible study and health outreach program within the clinic. And we had a, a contractor who was homeless. We actually provided him a place to stay. He was studying with us, and we really wanted to hire him on our plant services. But we have a policy that you have to be a baptized Seventh-day Adventist member. And his point was, I'm not going to get baptized just to get a job. And so we worked with them, and finally he gave him the point. He got baptized, and he's now working full-time on our plant services. And this is a, uh, an amazing kind of a, a, our first trophy that came out of the clinic. Wonderful. Now tell us about the nursing program. The nursing program was really amazing. When I started there again about four years ago, I really thought that the nursing program was a total waste of money. And I'll just be honest. I was wrong. You know, I've been wrong in other things. I was wrong there. <laughs> yes. Um, we, we, were, we realized it was going to take about $2 million to get the nursing program off the ground because the state of California, the BRN, the Board of Registered Nurses, have standards that you have to achieve. And for example, we need a skills lab. And, and we used to have mannequins, and you know, mannequins are probably 100 bucks. Well, the mannequins are now not $100, they're $70,000. We needed about $400,000 just in our skills lab. We needed hospital beds, and those are probably $10,000 a piece. Actually, Adventist Health, I, I contacted him. I said, can you guys, you know, do you have any hospital beds we have? He called me, like, the next day, and he says, Randy, you can, we have eight of them. And I said, I don't, I only need six. And he said, no, you didn't hear me. I have eight. Come get them all, or don't take any. <laughs> so we got eight hospital beds free from Adventist Health, but the... We, we were applying for accreditation, and actually, I thought it was really an uphill battle, and I wasn't sure that, that it was going to happen, and we went down to Irvine, California. Um, um, Elder Wilson's uh, daughter, uh, not daughter, sister, Shirley Anderson, was our head of our nursing program at the time. She was there. There were three of us, and we were at this meeting where they were going to decide if we could get approval, and uh, the, the, the program just before us was, was actually put on probation because they're... they're skills um, training were, were, was about 30 miles away from the school. Well, now we had places in Loma Linda and Glendale, and we had them all over the state, and I'm thinking they're going to crucify us. We got up there, and they said, well, now, what are you going to do about the students traveling all those miles? And uh, Dr. Anderson said, well, I was just talking to Dr. Bivens, and I think we're probably going to 
go ahead and pay for them to, we're going to transport them ourselves. And he looked right at me and he goes, is that right? And I go, well, you've got me on the spot. Yeah, that's right. We'll do that. And he goes, fine. Why didn't that other school do that? And they gave us full approval. I went up and talked to him afterward. And I said, you know, we just want to thank you. And he said, I know you Adventist. He goes, I had an uncle who was at Oakwood College. God had gone before us. And we just graduated our first cohort of nurses. Um, uh, all but one of them have actually taken their NCLEX exam, and 100% of them have passed their examination. So praise God. Amen. So your offering can help to build the infrastructure to be able to support all of these ministries that are going on at Weimar. We yeah, thank t- you so typically much. people don't like to pay for infrastructure. You know, the, the offering is going to build some staff and student housing. But without that infrastructure, the baptisms can't occur. The graduations can't occur. We can't be sending these missionaries into all the world. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, ASI, yes. for the generous offering. Well, what, collaboration is so important. For us working together, we can accomplish so much more as we do that together. Thank you. Were you inspired and blessed tonight? As you heard the stories, as you heard the experiences, the opportunities that God has given each of these individuals that are up here. You know, as I was listening, I was thinking to myself, what can I do more than what I'm doing in our family business? I have a daughter. What am I doing to teach her to talk to people about Jesus, to share Jesus with them. And I just want to give you a challenge tonight to look in your hearts, to pour your heart out to God, to tell him, I will go, Jesus. I will go and help finish this work. If that's your desire tonight, I ask that you will stand with me for the benediction. Father in heaven, Thank you for challenging us tonight. Thank you for your commission that you have given us. And Lord, I pray that each of us here tonight, as we go through this weekend and then go on home to our businesses, to our ministries, to our families, that we will keep in mind the real reason you have put us here on this earth. Lord Jesus, help us to each day surrender ourselves to you. Help us to be open to opportunities that you put in front of us each day. And Lord, may we be able to look up to you when you come to take us home, ready to take those that we have told about you with us home to heaven. We thank you for your spirit being here tonight, Lord. And we pray that you will bless us as we go from this place. In your holy name I pray. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.